reading comes from Luke 18, 9 to 30. So I'll give you a second if you want to find that on your phone or in the Bible in front of you. That's Luke 18, 9 to 30. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many things as such as this, as such as this age and in this age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie. Welcome to church tonight. It's my privilege to be teaching us from the Bible. God gives us his word so we can understand him and he's the one who helps us to live it out. So please join me as I pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is good for us. Please refresh our souls this evening as we are reminded of your love for us and help us to depend on you as we live as your children in the world. Amen. Uh, I, a few months ago, I moved out of home. Oh, here is a, a picture of a picture of my housemates and I outside our new place. And in the lead up to moving out, the only thing that anyone had to say to me was, it'll be so good when you're finally independent. You'll love the independence. Uh, I could cook and clean and forget about midnight all for myself with no help from my mum required. In my mind, moving out was like reaching the 100% independence mark. 
wow, was I wrong. Uh, in the 24 hours before my moving day, I felt so sick that I could barely stand up, let alone lift anything. And my best friend actually drove over to my house and packed all my boxes for me. And my housemates moved and unpacked all my furniture. And I did a lot of sitting around and watching and offering instructions. Uh, I was utterly dependent on that day. And I still am. I borrow food from my housemates pretty regularly. Uh, half the stuff I own was gifted from other people at church, and I regularly call my mum about what I should be putting in the dryer. Needing others is hard for us to admit, and I think that's because our culture really values independence. In almost every area of life, we expect to become more and more independent, that as we learn more and have more, we will need others less. I reckon for a lot of us here at 6pm, we feel this the most with our parents. Uh, maybe when they give you a right and take it back. When they say, no, you can't have the car anymore, but I can drive you there. You think, no, that's not why I got my licence. It's a win when you don't have to ask for help. We have a knee-jerk reaction against dependency. And the risk for us is that this crosses over into our expectations of what our relationship with God should feel like. We assume that living and maturing as a Christian will follow the same trajectory as growing up, that we'll get better at things, we'll make less mistakes, and overall we will need other people less. Well, today's passage really challenges that expectation. The Bible calls us to keep returning to dependence instead of expecting to outgrow it. It calls us to live in dependence on God. Luke, who wrote this account of Jesus' life and teaching, brings together a parable that Jesus taught and the different responses of all the people who heard it. He presents us with this challenge of depending on God, a case study of someone trying it out, and then finally, a picture of what it can look like for us. First, the challenge, and it starts in the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. From the get-go, it's a high-stakes situation. They're in the temple where someone would go to offer sacrifices and worship God. And so any judgment that Jesus is about to make is one about who is right with God. It's like he said... Two parties went to court, or two people got on stage to receive the Ducks Award. Our question is, who's in the right? Let us compare the pair. The Pharisee sets himself aside from everyone else and stands on his own. The tax collector, he can't even lift his head. The Pharisee gives God a quick mention and then focuses in on himself. Uh, for context, to fast twice a week and tithe everything was like the die-hard version of what the law required. He was doing the Iron Man version of following Jewish law. The tax collector makes no claims. He just asks for mercy. The Pharisee is so confident that he's in the right that he can't see what the tax collector can see, that he also needs God's mercy. The tax collector confesses that he is a sinner. And the Pharisee gives thanks that he's not one. The Pharisee's personal goodness blinds him to his own sinfulness. 
And for as long as he doesn't see his need for forgiveness, he isn't interested in God's mercy. In the next verse, we read that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And we're not that surprised. Uh, It's not hard for us as Australians, officially diagnosed with tall poppy syndrome, to see that the Pharisee has a pride problem. His arrogant boasting almost gives us secondhand embarrassment. We think, yeah, that guy does need humbling. And this is the danger for us. We know that self-centered bragging and calling out other people's sins is a lack of humility. But we've reached a false conclusion if we think that being humble is simply making sure we're not doing those things. It's easy to not be like the Pharisee. But the question we need to ask is what stops us from being like the tax collector? What stops us from openly declaring, I am a sinner? What stops you or I from publicly owning that we struggle with road rage, or have an addiction, or just can't turn off that part of our brains that judges people the moment we meet them based on their clothes or their job or what degree they're doing? It's our pride. It's so much more subtle than the Pharisees, but we can't pray like the tax collector because of our pride. We deeply, deeply care about what other people think of us. And the idea of such public exposure goes against our very built-in need to preserve our image. It would take radical humility for any of us to pray that kind of prayer. When Jesus explains the meaning of the parable later on in the same verse, he says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's possible for us to miss where this challenges us. I think we can be tempted here at St. James to settle for a skewed version of humility. Our version of humility looks a lot like neatness, not drawing attention to ourselves and not imposing our mess on others. We're careful not to publicize our failings and struggles, but we work to stay in control of our personal stuff so it doesn't take up space and and burden people. These aren't inherently bad things, but in pursuing neatness, we can end up editing out neediness. If this is our picture of humility, then there's little space for owning that we're people. We are sinful and needy and messy. And if we deny those things, there's little need for us to pray the words, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the challenge for us to commit ourselves to the kind of humility which will actually require us to depend on God. What stops us from being able to uh, fulfill this challenge? What is it that makes dependence feel so hard and so uncomfortable? This is where we turn to our case study. A ruler comes forward to ask Jesus the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' first answer is to point the ruler back to the commandments. And the ruler, he sees nothing new. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. In other words, I've been doing that my whole life. Then Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What quickly becomes obvious 
is that the ruler hadn't understood the challenge of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He becomes very sad, and then we don't hear from him again. It would appear he couldn't go through with it. He rejects Jesus' offer because it would have required him to live depending on Jesus to be the one meeting his needs. And he couldn't give up his independence. To put it another way, he didn't want to have to depend on Jesus. That's why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The ruler's wealth blinds him to the point that he doesn't even notice when Jesus only lists the commands that don't mention God. These are the ones he has not had any trouble keeping all his life because they haven't stopped him from living completely independently of God. And this is his approach to all of life. He looks for what he can do to earn eternal life. But when Jesus offers it to him freely, he just can't receive it. To receive it freely, he'd have to depend on someone else to fulfill a need he couldn't fulfill for himself. Just like the Pharisees' own moral goodness stopped him from recognizing his need for mercy, the ruler's wealth stops him from recognizing his need for Jesus. He turned down Jesus' invitation to an eternal life so he wouldn't have to be needy. And so the case study is a bit of a failure. For as long as wealth enabled his independence, it was impossible for him to utterly depend on God. And I want to ask, what's your gut reaction to Jesus' answer? Sell everything. Does your heart sink at the thought of having to do this? I suspect that for a lot of us, if you've been coming to church for a while, You've probably heard these words before and it's not hard to skim over them a little bit. I wonder if it's a bit like when you have to do an emergency fire drill at school or sit through the uh, safety demonstration on an aeroplane. I know for me, this is a bit of a confession, but when I hear the instruction, don't try to bring any of your carry-on luggage, leave it all behind, bring only yourself, I think, oh, yeah, but if it came to it, like... It would be fine if I grabbed my phone and maybe my laptop and maybe one or two more things. Like, I wouldn't directly disobey it. But surely, surely they don't actually mean leave it all behind. Does Jesus actually expect us to leave everything behind to follow him? The answer here is yes. Jesus wasn't using hyperbole with the ruler. It was a genuine invitation to do so. And it's the same invitation of following him that he extends to us. This should make us pause. If God wants us to depend on him and nothing else, then we need to ask ourselves what it would look like for me to give up the things I am most tempted to depend on. What stops you from completely depending on God? For most of us, it, it is wealth. We don't accumulate wealth just because we're greedy people who love stuff. We want to have money for good reasons, that we don't miss out on things, whether it's study or travel or where we get to live in the future. We don't want to miss out on the number of opportunities available to us. But if we know that our wealth stops us from depending fully on God, then we need to ask what will it take for us to give it up to follow Jesus? The answer is that we can't do this on our own. It's impossible for us. 
But what is impossible for us is possible with God. And it is possible. We can be sure it's possible because we see it in the lives of the disciples. Unlike the ruler who walked away from Jesus' invitation, the disciples did leave all they had to follow him. And the difference is that they knew Jesus. They knew him. They lived and travelled and ate with him, so they knew exactly what dependence on him felt like. And we know Jesus. We open our Bibles and we read about him providing food for hundreds of people. We read about him healing the sick. And we know Jesus in our own lives. God made this kind of lifestyle possible for us when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. We can embrace our neediness because when we do so, it takes us to the cross. It takes us to where we are reminded that God has already met our greatest need, forgiveness for sins in Jesus. So it's not impossible for us to pray like the tax collector did because we know that owning our sin will only fuel our desire to ask for mercy. And when we ask God for mercy, the answer is always grace. And it's not impossible for us to genuinely give up our financial security, to maybe give a bit more than feels comfortable, and to make costly decisions to follow Jesus, because all our needs are already met in him. So what is this going to look like for us here at St. James? Jesus gives us an incredible picture of what total dependence looks like. I want to encourage you to let this picture comfort and challenge you as you go into your week. As people are bringing babies to him, he tells the disciples to welcome them in and that anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. That's how we enter the kingdom. We don't earn our entry through hard work the babies didn't push their own way through the crowd. They were carried. And when the disciples hindered them and stopped them, Jesus essentially told them to get out of the way. He calls the children to him, and he calls us to him. We enter the kingdom when we learn to be like little children. Little children are so needy. Jesus wasn't being sentimental. He knew how desperate and needy children were. They need their parents every single day. They don't have a choice but to trust in someone else. They're a picture of total dependence. And Jesus says, yes, be like that. Not only is that how we enter the kingdom, that's how we live in it. We stay dependent. We don't outgrow it. We keep being like a needy child, full of dependent trust. Jesus doesn't need us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. He doesn't need us to resolve our problems and shelve our burdens doesn't invite us to be neat, but to come to him needy. What's one good way to start? Perhaps it's by recognising where you tend to hold back when it comes to sharing with other people. Uh, when you're sharing prayer points at growth group, how often do you share real struggle? I know I find it pretty hard to not give a polished version of what's happening in my life. And when someone else shares their struggles, what's your first reaction? Do we shy away from their messiness and hope it resolves itself? Or do we offer to share in it and carry some of their burden and encourage them that this is when they're growing the most? Often it's when we're struggling with sin and with our own brokenness that we find it most difficult to come to church. We're so tempted to drop off the radar and sort ourselves out for a little bit. 
we hinder ourselves when we think we can't come to God like that. But God invites us to come as we are, broken and messy, overwhelmed by our neediness. Our God invites us to depend on him. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear God, thank you that we are like that text collector. We are sinners with no other option than to throw ourselves upon your mercy. Thank you that you made the impossible possible through your son, Jesus, and that we've been welcomed into your kingdom like little children. Help us to live in dependence on you. Amen.